Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information, as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies, so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. We do. We have a question from Pat and Robert. Um, In my pit employer pension plan, I have assets in a traditional 403B and 457 plans and uh, their Roth components. While I'm still working or when I retire, can I roll over money from the traditional part of the 403B or 457 to the Roth part? Also, if we can do it, is there a limit on how much we can roll over in any year? Well, frankly, that is more of a question of the contract you have that that your university has with whoever is holding the money, whether it's TIA or Vanguard or Fidelity or whatever it is. In the old days, the the answer was likely no. These days, most of the universities do have, do allow a Roth, let's for example, the most common retirement plan would be a 403B or 401A for professors. Let's say that you have money in a 403B or a 401A. Let's say you are still working. You can't get that money out of that, um, in, in that 403B or 401A, or for, for perhaps, excuse me, for investment reasons, you want to keep the money in there. Can you go from a traditional 403B to a, a Roth 403B, pay the tax on it? And the answer is yes. So that's often a second choice. If you have the money in an IRA, we like that a little better because that will stop minimum required distributions when you hit 72 where if you do a Roth 403B conversion, you do have minimum required distributions at 72. But the answer is yes, assuming that the institution's contract with TIAA or whoever the uh, provider is, the answer is yes, you can. And we've been doing more and more of that, particularly with, with younger professors who are still working. Hope that answers the question. Uh, why don't we take one more and then we will move on. Great. This question came from Judith and she asked, how can one avoid Medicare income related monthly adjustment amount or IRMA when doing Roth conversions and go up above IRMA limits? Well, that's, that's where you, that's where you have to run the numbers, frankly. And again, it's the IRMA limit is not sacred. 
a lot of people think it is, and they live relatively productive lives thinking that, but they don't live optimal lives when it comes to Roth IRA conversions. We actually have a whole article on that exact subject. And what my, what my thinking is on this and probably all the analysis that we do, one of the advantages of working with professors is we hope that you are data-driven. By that, I mean, you might come into uh, an engagement with certain ideas, but then you see the numbers and you can challenge the assumptions and you can look at the math. The software that we use is it's, it's pretty transparent. You can kind of see what is going on. You can see the calculations. You can see all the assumptions that we made. We can change the assumptions. It's, it's really much more like spreadsheet rather than hit in a bunch of numbers and hit maximize. So you can actually see the result. And what I ask is that you let the data help you uh, with your decisions. And I don't want to knock any group of people like engineers and say they might not be as open-minded as some of our data-driven professors, but we are hoping that you will come into it with an open mind and we'll show you, particularly with tax increases on the horizon, with uh, the SECURE Act that's just going to clobber your heirs with huge tax acceleration. Sometimes it does make sense to go above the Irma limit for where you are right now, pay some additional Medicare Part B premiums, and still have your family be tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars better, better off. On the other hand, uh, in many situations, it doesn't. Uh, and again, this isn't, I don't think it should be a matter of gut instinct. I think it should be a matter of math. And if any advisor says, oh, I don't like Roth conversions or, well, no, or, or my, my answer to them is let's see the peer-reviewed journals that you have published. Let's see the math on doing a series of conversions versus not doing anything. And frankly, they just can't stand up to the analysis, which is why there is no such thing as an IRA expert who doesn't believe in Roth IRA conversions for some amount, for some people, for some time. Okay, uh, why don't we move on to some different ideas, but very related, um, which is going from the taxable environment to the tax-free environment. So this, and we mentioned this during the first uh, program, but I think it is relevant um, now that you take a portion of the IRA, you pay taxes on it. So now you have some plain old after-tax dollars, all right? Then you take those plain old after-tax dollars that you have left after cashing in part of your IRA or your 403D or your 401A, and you gift that money to your heirs. Uh, again, it could be, and then let's assume that your heirs are investing that uh, in the tax-free environment, even if you're controlling it. So 529 plans, really it's kind of like a Roth IRA conversion. If you're taking some money out of your IRA, you're paying the tax, then you have a tax-free vehicle. But the other advantage with the 529 plan is it's not in your estate at your death. Same thing with life insurance. Uh, take a portion of the IRA, cash it in, uh, use the proceeds of that to 
buy a life insurance policy that will typically fall outside your estate. And uh, the euphemism that the insurance guys use is when the policy matures, meaning after you were second to die policy, you and your spouse die, all this money comes into the beneficiaries, all income tax free. Uh, the other possibility is your beneficiaries use some of that money for their own health savings account. Earlier, I talked about how wonderful health savings accounts were because you get a deduction going in and it's tax-free coming out, assuming that you're using it for a qualified medical expense. Um, so all of these are kind of like a Roth conversion. We're, we're going from the taxable world to the tax-free world, but it is falling outside of your estate, which uh, is another great thing. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is we have been in an environment uh, for years now where estate taxes, when I say estate taxes, I'm really talking about transfer taxes, typically at death, but it could be with a gift tax, where the exclusion these days is 11.7 million. So, and if you're married, then you have two of those. So you're, you know, you could exclude, assuming appropriate planning, uh, $23.4 million. Well, that 11.7, thanks to the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017 sunset provisions, is going to $5 million plus inflation in 2026. And even if you don't have a federal transfer tax problem, you very well might have a state inheritance transfer tax problem. And one of the advantages of a series of Roth IRA conversions is that you are getting, you're reducing your estate. Because you remember that example where, where I had, where I showed $100,000 in an IRA and 25,000 outside an IRA for $125,000 total, but only a purchasing power of 100,000, where I compare that to $100,000 in a Roth IRA, same purchasing power, but you in effect got that $25,000 out of your estate for transfer tax purposes. We have done significant, if you will, for the lack of a better term, deathbed Roth conversions that have saved families hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, um, and professors have it, most, most professors, to be fair, have a much bigger income tax problem than an estate tax problem, but we don't want to ignore uh, state and federal transfer taxes. Um, and here is a chart showing what the exemption amount is. The higher the amount, the less tax you pay. And you'll see between now and 2026, the exclusion or the exemption amount is very high, but then boom, it comes way down um, in starting the year 2026. Roth IRA conversions uh, and gifting are both ways to address that. Okay, so why don't we take a few more questions before we go on to a new area. Erica, do we have some more questions? We do have a few. Um, we have one from Michael. He said the original Roth program had an income limit. Are there any income levels that preclude Roth conversions? Um, so what Michael is referring to is back in the old days, uh, specifically when they started in 1998, uh, you were not allowed to make a Roth IRA conversion if 
and the measurement tool was called modified adjusted gross income. So if your modified adjusted gross income was more than $100,000, then you weren't allowed to make a Roth conversion. In my case, I said, hey, I was really interested in doing a Roth conversion because I knew my income was going to be lower than it ever was. And it was back then we didn't know that they were going to eliminate the cap on income, um, which is right now unlimited. So I was extra anxious to convert everything. So today there is no limit on how much you can convert. Now in the real world, what there's, there's going to be two determinants of when and how much you convert. One of them is going to be the math test. And, and this is sometimes hard for people because I, I'm thinking of one client. He came in with a preconceived notion. He wanted to die with no traditional IRA money left. He wanted to die with nothing but Roth conversion and Roth IRAs uh, and Roth 401As and Roth 403Bs that were going to go to his heirs. That was the vision that he had in mind. And he came to us and frankly, he was really hoping that we would confirm his analysis. Well, that's not the way we work, we're objective. So we said, hey, if we, and we ran numbers. Okay, here's if you convert nothing, here's if you convert everything. And guess what? The optimal result for you and your family is not to convert nothing, not to convert everything, but to do a series of Roth conversions. And if you live a normal life expectancy, you will still die, and in that case, with more money in the traditional IRA than in the Roth IRA. And he didn't want to hear that at all. But it was math. It was numbers. And we showed him. And the reason for that, if you want to get behind the numbers, is if we'd converted as much as he wanted, what would have happened is that would have pushed him into a very high tax bracket. Then what would have happened is since that money was going to end up in a Roth, there wouldn't be a minimum required distribution on that Roth. So he would end up in a very low tax bracket. So what would happen is he may, he, if we did, if we had done it the way he wanted, he would have ended up in a very high tax bracket to save taxes in a very low tax bracket. And it just, the math on it just didn't work. So sometimes people come in with preconceived notions. And one of the things I like about professors, of course, not all professors, to be fair, um, and there are probably some spouses shaking their head. Yes, he, he pretends to be data-driven, but he's so stubborn. But anyway, most professors are data-driven. You show them the math, and they are more willing to do what is the best thing for themselves and their family, which doesn't tend to be nothing. It doesn't tend to be all but the vast majority of cases, it tends to be um, Roth IRA conversions over a series of years. Uh, the other advantage of doing it over a series of years is it's easier to pass the stomach test. You know, if I say, oh, gee, I think you ought to do a Roth IRA conversion of a million bucks. And by the way, you're going to have to write a check to the IRS for $400,000. That's pretty tough to take. Even if the math works, it's much easier to take, well, we're going to do a series of conversions of $200,000 a year for the next five years, and you're going to have a check of $70,000 uh, per year to write. That might be much more palatable from 
something that will it affect past the stomach test, uh, not just the uh, the math test. So I don't know if that answers the question, if it went well beyond the question, but again, um, this is really important stuff. And it, again, Roth IRA conversions and getting some money in the tax-free world is going to be one of your best defenses against the SECURE Act and also the looming tax increases that we are looking at in 2026. Want to take one more and then we will move on, okay? Do we have another one, Erica? We do. We have a few, but I will uh, pick one and save the others for another break. Um, this is a question from Josh, and he asks, since the government has already reneged to IRA and Roth IRA holders by eliminating the stretch provisions for inherited IRAs, in your expert opinion, what is the likelihood that other features of the Roth will be reneged or changed? Well, um, by the way, they are talking about that right now. And they're talking about um, if somebody ha ends up with $10 million in a IRA, uh, they're talking about limiting. So can they make some limitations on uh, Roth IRA conversions in the future? And the answer is yes, they could. Um, does that mean that we shouldn't do it now? No, if anything, that might be reason to do more of it. They could even eliminate the Roth conversion feature, uh, in which case you'd be really happy if you did a series of conversions before they eliminated it. Um, I think very frankly, there's a lot of people that would like to eliminate Roth conversions. Uh, on the other hand, if you think about what's going on with our country, they are cash starved. They're, they desperately want more and more dollars, but they don't want to increase tax rates. One of the ways they get dollars is if people do a Roth conversion because they're getting the money now and it's, you know, one of the reasons why you're hundreds of thousands, sometimes a million dollars better off down the road is because you're saving taxes for uh, down the road for yourself and future generations. Well, that's the money that you're saving in taxes is money that the IRS uh, isn't collecting. So they very well could uh, um, change the law in a way that would be disadvantageous but it would not be disadvantageous if you made a Roth conversion. Let me expand that question because I'm an attorney. I can take any question I want and answer any other question. So this might be a fear that some people might have with Roth conversions. Them rascals in Washington, they said we were never going to have to pay tax on our Social Security. And guess what? We're paying taxes on our Social Security. How do we know that if we make a Roth IRA conversion and here we're actually writing a check to the government, at least with Social Security, we didn't have to write a check to the government. Here we're writing a check to the government. How do we know that they're not going to change their mind and say, oh, no, the Roth, the Roth dollars are taxable now? That to me is a very, um, that's a compelling concern. And here's my answer to that. It was never part of the Internal Revenue Code that distributions from Social Security would never be taxable. It was, the legal word for it is dicta. Dicta is non-legally enforceable action, words spoken by a president, a congressman, um, the statute. Um, non-legally enforceable words 
well, actually not the statute, that would be legally enforceable, that, did, that does not have the power of law. With the Roth IRA conversion, if you look at the Internal Revenue Code, it will say that that money will never be, in the growth on that money, will never be subject to income taxes, uh, either during the life of the Roth IRA uh, owner or the beneficiary of the Roth. So even now, when we have that 10-year acceleration uh, after death, they, they, they change the amount or they change the timing of when you have to take that money, but it's still income tax-free. So I am not worried. Now, yes, maybe, I don't know, Steve Forbes is getting pretty old now, but maybe Steve Forbes wins the presidency and he eliminates the income taxes, and then you paid all the taxes for the Roth conversion. It doesn't help you. I think that that is so unlikely that I don't really worry about it as a possibility. I think what is much more likely is that we're going to have a major tax increase um, and the value of the Roth conversion is going to be even greater than all the numbers that I have presented so far. Okay. Anyway, I think it's, I'm going to move on. And first I'm going to do the summary. Then I'm going to get into social security specifically. So we have two college professors. Uh, let's call them Professor Red and Professor Green. And they have the identical amount of money. They have the identical earnings record for Social Security. They spend the same. They invest the same, everything else, all right? Professor Red said, I want to take my Social Security as soon as I can. And let's even assume that, that they are retired even at age 62. So they said, I want to take my Social Security at age 62. And there's no way I'm going to do a Roth conversion. And let's uh, run the numbers, if you will, for Professor Red, given certain reasonable assumptions over his lifetime. And what you will see uh, is at age 92, he is broke. All right. Now, Professor Green has, again, identical amount of money, identical investments. Uh, everything else is identical. But Professor Green says, hey, I'm going to wait until I am 70 to take Social Security. And I'm going to do a series of Roth IRA conversions between now and the time I hit 72 when I'm in my lowest tax bracket, all right? And given, again, given reasonable assumptions, which if, if people want to um, get this, I, I can make that available. Instead of being broke, they will have $2 million. So the difference in strategy is enormous. And there is a synergy between holding up on Social Security and doing Roth IRA conversions. So that's going to be the assumptions. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty with Social Security. And maybe, Eric, if you can forward the slide, because I'm apparently not able to. Oh, there we go. Okay. So here is, I'll call what the straightforward math of Social Security. All right. And let's keep Roth out of it for the moment. Um, and let's. Let's not worry, let's forget the marital component, which is an even more compelling reason to hold off till 70 for Social Security. But anyway, Professor Red says, okay, I'm going to take my Social Security at age 62 and I'm going to invest it. So he takes his Social Security and he invests it. And the trajectory of his savings, assuming he's using other money to spend, 
um, is in the serrated red wine. Professor Green says, hey, I am going to hold off until I'm age 70. We'll see what the increases are in a minute uh, by waiting, but ultimately what's going to happen to over to vastly oversimplify, he's going to get an, eight, an extra 8% raise for every year that he waits. So the additional income that he receives by waiting, which ends up being close to double, um, will push him to literally the break-even point. And again, depending on what assumptions you use, the assumptions we're using, which I think is pretty reasonable, is at age um, 82. That's the break-even point. And um, when I had my radio show, I had a guest, a uh, very good guy, a guy named Larry Kotlikoff, uh terrific person. He's a major economic force. He has some terrific software. He wrote the most popular social security book, I believe, in history ever. Uh, sold a lot more copies than mine. But anyway, Larry was a, is a terrific guest, very smart guy. And, you know, I'm going, kind of going through this analysis with, with him. And right on the air, live, he says, Lang, you have it all wrong. I'm like, well, what's wrong with my analysis? Did I use the wrong interest rate? And by the way, I thought 4% was generous because you're talking about a guaranteed, uh, a guaranteed social security. He says, no, no. You're thinking about it all wrong. He said, quit thinking like an actuary and start thinking like an economist. If you hold off on your social security, you are basically getting guaranteeing yourself a higher income. And it might be the difference between you being broke and you having substantial money when you are older. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. If you've discovered the answers to your questions and would like to schedule an appointment with Jim, please call our offices at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. Or if you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming webinars, Go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That's 2020 webinars.